Well, this morning we are stepping back into the world of Genesis. For those of you guys who are with us last fall, we started Genesis 1 through 3. And, and my goal is every fall, which we're kind of, we're September now, fall decorations can be out. Uh, we are in the fall, and, and my goal is in the fall is that we come back to Genesis, and we take a new chunk of Genesis every fall, and then we just go, what is this, the beginning, the first book of the Bible, what does it talk about? And last, last fall, we took several weeks, but we went through Genesis 1 through 3, and that was just basically the creation, the creation of the world uh, through the, uh, Adam and Eve, and then the fall, uh, and what we're going to do now from, from now until... Probably, well, we'll break for Christmas if we need to come back and come to Genesis after Christmas, we will. But we're going to cover uh, 4 through 11, which is going to be, as we're going to see this morning, the, the story of Cain and Abel, the famous story of Cain and Abel. And we're going to take that all the way to uh, the Tower of Babel. So in there, there's going to be uh, Noah. So all of these uh, Sunday school, you know, all the flannel graphs. We're, gonna, we're not going to probably get the flannel graph out, but we're going to have these, these Sunday school stories. And what we're going to see what they're about. And what I, what I love about, especially Genesis and place of the Old Testament, is we think that God gave us these stories because Sunday school teachers needed to tell something to the kids, right? And I go, this is a great story. There's animals involved and, and a boat and these sorts of things. And, and you go, well, th- th- yes, although they're, they are wonderful stories that they are playing a part in setting us up for a much larger story. And so as we step back into the, the world of Genesis, one of the things I want to remind you is that we talked about last fall, and I'm sure you remembered, is that when we talk about Genesis, there's all sorts of things that are in Genesis. And what we're going to do with Genesis is we're going to let Genesis answer the questions it seems to be most concerned about. In other words, we're not going to make Genesis say things it doesn't say. We're not going to make Genesis and God's word uh, address things that it doesn't seem to be concerned about. People read Genesis, like especially like 1 through 6, and they go, okay, my question is, what's up with the dinosaurs? Where are those guys at? And you go, that was your question? You read 1 through 6, and that was your question. That was your takeaway. It was like, well, what about dinosaurs? And you go, and I, just to be honest, I don't think that Genesis is really concerned to explain away the dinosaurs. I think there's a lot in Genesis that it does not seem to be concerned with. And what happens a lot with Genesis and other places of the Bible, but specifically with Genesis, and first, the first several chapters, is that people take the speculation and then they run wild with the speculation. And then what happens with that speculation is then the speculation becomes doctrine. And then we wonder why we end up with such wacky theology. I'll tell you why we ended up with wacky theology. We got away from what the, the, the Bible was clearly stating, and that didn't become doctrine anymore. And then we, we took the place where the Bible was at best speculative, and then we made our speculations, and then we, we turned those speculations into distinctions that became doctrines. Where'd that come from? And so actually, even this morning, we're going to see two of these places where we could spend all morning and I could tell you about the wild theories that come behind the speculations. But we're going to let the Bible speak to what the Bible speaks. And so if you remembered with Genesis, so we're going to let Genesis speak to what it speaks to and not let it say more. We want to know what does it say. The other thing we talked about last time, if you remember Adam and Eve, is that Adam and Eve, 
just to kind of bring you up to speed, 1 and 2 write, the world is good. Chapter 3, the world falls, Adam and Eve. They ate of the fruit. God said, there's one tree. You can eat freely of any of the trees in the garden. There's one tree you can't eat of. And in the day that you eat of that tree, you are going to die. That's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then Genesis 3 tells us that Eve, serpent came along. God, did God really say that? God was withholding from you something greater. God knows that in the day that you eat that, you will actually be free. In other words, God's actually trying to trap you. He's trying to enslave you. And if you want real freedom, you'll eat of the tree. And so Eve, who she says that she, she desired it. She, in other words, she wanted it. She saw that it was good for food. Doesn't God want me to be full? She saw that it would make one wise. Doesn't God want me to be wise? And all three really good reasons. One good reason not to do it. God said, don't do it. And the first place we see, we've seen human wisdom trump divine edict. And they eat of the tree. Now the interesting thing is that they don't actually die as we would think they would die in that moment because otherwise they wouldn't have kept on. Like, you know, if, if Eve dies in that moment, Adam doesn't eat of the fruit, right? And so the spiritual, there's a spiritual death that sets in. And the interesting thing is when God calls on them and calls them into accountability, did you eat of that tree? That when he gives them basically the consequences for sin is what he tells them is, Eve, you're going to have pain in childbirth. Eve, your desire is going to be for your husband, but the way that it reads is that I'm going to put a struggle between you and your husband. And then he goes, Adam, for you, work is going to become, well, work. It's by the sweat of your brow now that you're going to eat from the ground. Now, interestingly enough, before the fall, those were three things they were told to do. Be fruitful and multiply. Subdue the earth. And that Eve was created to be out of the side of Eve, from our, not the head of Eve, not the foot of, sorry, not the head of Adam, and not the, the foot of Adam, but out of the side of Adam, Eve was created to be, as it said, like a helper to Adam. And God says, now that's going to be a struggle. And so the three things that they were told to do after the fall, God says now, well, you're still going to do them, but now they're going to come with great pain and great struggle. That's kind of what sin does. Sin, sin, sin corrupts us in a way that then the will of God comes with great pain and great struggle. And after Genesis 3, you could continue to read the chapters of the Bible, and what you would see is that the will of God comes with great pain and great struggle. I mean, that's the story of the cross, that, 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 that the will of God comes with great pain and great struggle. Why? Because of Genesis 3. This morning... We're going to step into a very famous story between Cain and Abel. So if you have your Bibles, open with me to Genesis chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. 
And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. And so we have Cain who is a, the tiller of the soil. He's a farmer. And we have Abel, his younger brother, who uh, is, is tending a, a flock. And so he's maybe more maybe like a shepherd. And both of them bring an offering to God. God accepts one and rejects the other. Now, we talk about speculations. We don't have time this morning, but there is all sorts of speculations about why God accepted one and not the other. But then I come to this text and I go, but I got a lot of questions that the text doesn't seem to answer. And my, my number one question is, why was Cain's rejected? But it doesn't tell us that. And so people want to speculate. Well, it was because it wasn't the best of the best of the fruit. I go, and maybe that's true. And maybe that's what's indicated by the fact that, that Abel brought the, the, the firstborn lamb. Or the, the firstborn of it. I go, maybe that's what's indicated there. But I go, but we don't know. It doesn't say. I want to know, did, did Abel have prior knowledge? Did God say to Abel, bring, bring me the firstborn? Bring me the best of the best? Do we, but it doesn't say that God said that. It doesn't say that God said to Cain and Abel, bring me your best of the best. Cain brought the second best. Abel brought the best. Therefore, his was rejected. It doesn't say that. I want to know, did Cain know that in bringing it to God that it was going to be rejected? But it doesn't know that either. It doesn't say that. It's funny because like, the answers that we want, it doesn't necessarily seem to give us. Why? Isn't that the classic? God, why? Why? Just tell me why so that I don't, I don't make the same mistake. doesn't say. It says that one was accepted and then one was rejected. I do think that Cain's response to the rejection says something about his motive. In fact, it's possible. I'm just going to submit this to you. I don't even, this is, now, this is a speculation, so don't go off and turn into doctrine. But it's possible that it's even that, that Cain brought the right, the right offering with the wrong attitude. It's possible that he brought the wrong offering with the wrong attitude. It's quite possible he brought the right offering with the wrong attitude. And how do we know that? Because as soon as, because God says, I, basically, I'm, I'm, I'm rejecting it. What's Cain's response? Anger. You're what? You're, you're, you're rejecting it? Have you ever had somebody that, like, did something against you? And they, they come to you and they go, hey, I just want to, like, tell you that I'm sorry and ask for your forgiveness. And your response to them is, I appreciate that, but I can't forgive you right now. If their response to you is, what, you can't forgive me? What? You know, you need to forgive me. You go, well, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Now I really don't forgive you. Like, I was not, I was like, I was borderline not forgiving you, but now, like, no, like, no, no, because, be, why? Because your attitude, 
You're acting as like, so when I, I didn't receive it, that your response was anger? That tells me something about your motive. And so when, when God rejects it and says, I'm not going to look favorably on it, I'm going to look on Abel's favorably, but not yours favorably, and I'm going to reject it, and he responds with anger, tells me something about his motive. And at the end of the day, here's the thing, here's the end of the day, we want to know why. Why? And to which sort of like a, for me, like an easy pastoral answer is, because God gets to decide what's acceptable and not. Because God gets to decide what he will accept and what he will reject. And at the end of the day, when we see it through his lens, even if we ever see it through his lens, we would, we would, we would not think to ourselves, God, well, that's not fair. We think, God, that's very fair. You're very righteous. You are very good in your judgment. And so he accepts Abel's and he rejects Cain's. And Cain's response is one of anger. How are you going to reject that? God, you should be grateful that I brought you anything. Story goes on in verse 6. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. I think, look at the grace of God. He comes to Cain. I think of this very pastoral God. He comes to Cain and says, what's going on? Why are you angry? By by the way, if anybody has the right to be angry in this story, you know who it is? God. How dare you bring that to me? Did you see what Abel brought to me? How dare you bring this to me? God has the right to be angry in this story, but he's not. He comes as gracious. Why are you angry, Cain? Do you know that you, you can do well? If you do well, will it not be accepted? I've done a lot of school. I've been in a lot of school. I've written a lot of papers. Submitted some papers. Professors give it back to me. Like, That's not good. But every now and then you get one of those gracious professors that says, that was not your best work. I want you to rewrite and turn it back in. And I'm demanding better out of you because I know you can do better. And so even, even God's like, God, I, I can't, I'm, I'm giving you, like, do well. I, if you do well, then you will be accepted. But if not, know that sin is crouching at your, desor- at your door. It's desire is for you. Remember with Eve when she saw the fruit, the rejection of God? What does it say? Is that she said she made her wise, it's good for food, and she desired it. You see, the great love relationship that is the great tragedy 
is that we have a desire for sin, and guess what? It has a desire for us. We long for it, and it longs for us. That's the cosmic battle. And what does God want this whole time? He wants, he wants us to long for Him, and He longs for us. It's the great cosmic love triangle. And yet here we are, we desire it, it desires us. And this is what God is telling Cain. Its desire is for you, it wants you. It's beckoning you. It's calling you. But do well. It's crouching at your door. It is waiting. And you must master it. Verse 8. And Cain spoke to his brother, Abel, to his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother, Abel, and killed him. At some level, we've all been in this place, right? God comes to you on the front end of something and says, I don't do that. If you do that, that's a horrible decision. I'm warning you. I'm telling you. I'm trying to, to show off, the, to, to send off all of the flares. Like, don't go down that road. It's a bad, bad road. And then we think about it. We hear God's opinion. We think about his ideas and go, okay, God, I hear that. It may slow you down, but it does not stop you. And so Cain, who's given the opportunity, goes, Cain, do well. If you do well, you'll be accepted. But if not, just so you know, sin is crouching at your door. You long for it. It longs for you. Don't do it. Cain took all of that. said, I got an idea. Abel. How about we go out into the field? You see, one of the beautiful ways, beautiful things about living in a competitive culture, are there are two ways to get ahead. Right? You can either do better or you can kill the competition. And what, what Cain decides to, instead of doing the better, I, I, gotta, I, gotta, I, I, I know what I'll do. I will, I will kill the competition. So if Abel isn't bringing his offering to God, then God's going to look at my offering and go, well, hey, that's not, that, okay, okay, that's, that's the best I'm getting, I guess. But that's not what, what, what he did. And what he did in this, in this moment here was then Cain rejects that, the only thing which God thought was acceptable. There's been a lot of murder in this world. A lot of murder in this world. And here we see in Genesis 4, the genesis of murder. Everyone thinks that, oh, G Genesis is the beginning of the world. And I go, yeah, it is the beginning of the world. The problem with that, though, is not just the beginning of the creation of the world. It's not just Genesis, the beginning of the world. It's Genesis, the beginning of everything. And here we see the beginning of the world, the creation, the beginning of humanity, the beginning of sin. And here we see the beginning of murder. Murder based in jealousy and rage. Jealousy because his offering is better than mine and rage because I'm so angry that I can't control and it's better that you die. And I go, and all of the murders that have happened in this world. Many have happened since this moment. Many. Millions have happened since this moment. 
most of which have at their, at their motive jealousy and rage. And what we start to see is the downward spiral of sin. Remember back in Genesis 3? God said, Eve, Adam, don't eat of that tree because in the day that you eat of that tree, you will die. So Eve took that information, but she weighed that against this idea that, that, well, it will make me wise. I want it. It's good for food. And she ate of the tree. And her eyes were open and she was enslaved. But I'll tell you what Eve didn't know that day. I bet you Eve didn't know that in her rebellion, what she was doing is she was setting into motion the things that would take place that one day her one son would kill her other son. That's information she didn't get on the front end. God did not say on the front end, and the day you eat of this tree, the day you eat of the, the knowledge of the fruit of the, the, the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, the day you eat of that tree is a day you will set into motion and bring into this world a sin so that one day your older son will kill your younger son. Not information she had. And I think that's often how sin works. Often when we think about the consequences of sin on the front end, we only think about the things that we know. And that's what we actually use to, to weigh to make our decisions. Like, well, it's not, I mean, it's a sin, but it's not that bad. But there's the, there's the problem of sin is that there's all these other unintended consequences to unsuspected people that we don't even know. And we don't account for that. For how can we? And what I have found in my history, my own personal history and lives that I've seen and in the Bible, actually the most destructive path, the most destructive things of sin are not things that we anticipate on the front end. The most destructive consequences of sin are things we never saw coming to people we never knew. You see, the rejection of God in Genesis 3 leads to the, the murder of of one son over the other. And so then it goes on in 9. Then the Lord said to Cain, Abel, where is Abel your brother? He said, I, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Let me read that again. That's that last part. And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And so, God comes to him. Hey, where's, uh, where's Abel at? Where's your brother? I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? What have you done? It's interesting when he gets confronted with it, where he says, I, I, I deny any knowledge of it. I don't know. I don't know. And I'm not responsible. Don't know, not my problem. Don't know, not my problem. It's interesting if you remember back in Genesis 3, right? When God comes to Adam, he says, Adam, where are you? Adam, what have you done? What does he do? Did you eat of that tree? Was it me? It was the 
helper you gave me who doesn't seem to be helping me at this moment. It was her. Eve, what did you do? Did you eat of that tree? Wasn't me. It was Satan. It was the serpent. There's a bunch of blame shifting. And then when Cain gets caught in sin, what does he do? He denies knowledge and responsibility. I didn't know. It wasn't my fault. It's not my problem. I don't know where he's at. It's not my problem. And God doesn't seem to be satisfied with that answer. Oh, okay. All right, well, I was just checking in, saying, okay, I'll, I'll go look somewhere else for him then. God already knows, right? He already knows what's happened. He doesn't seem to be satisfied with that answer. Your brother's blood is crying out to me. You go, what's it calling out? And I don't know, but it's probably not good, right? It's probably not like your brother's blood's crying out to me. Hey, you should forgive him, God. It's probably it's probably one of like you know, it's probably one of like like uh, condemnation, right? Condemnation and 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 just uh, justice. Like, would you would you would you would you give justice to the situation, God? Condemnation and judgment. Your blood, your brother's blood is crying out to me from where? From the ground. Now I got a question for you. What has been coming from the ground up until this point? Adam came from the ground, didn't he? What did God say? It's from the dirt. He molded him. He shaped him. He crafted him. You could read in Genesis 1 and 2, guess what else comes from the ground? The water is coming up from the ground. What did it tell us? We see this in other places, but what did it even tell us in the beginning of this chapter? What else came from the ground? The fruit came from the ground. And so what we see in Genesis 1, 2, 3, and even the beginning of 4, is that what comes from the ground is life and blessing. Because that's what God does. Out of the ground comes life and blessing. And then Cain, Cain kills Abel. And what does God say is coming from the ground? Your brother's blood, which is, is calling out, now I'm, I'm going to fill some things in maybe here, but is calling out condemnation and justice, now comes from the ground. And I go, that's what sin does. Sin often takes that which God has meant for life and blessing and turns it into condemnation and injustice. I could spend all day, by the way, talking. I'll give you you two examples right now. Sex and money. Money. God's provision. God's way sometimes of, 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 of providing. But in this world, through greed and other things, turns into things of condemnation and injustice. Sex. The, the beautiful union between a man and a woman in a, in, in a covenant relationship. But you know what sin does to that? Sin will turn that into things of condemnation, shame, and injustice. You see, that's the great tragedy of sin. It's not that we, we do this instead of this. But often the tragedy of sin is we take that which was meant to be a 
holy, meant to be life-giving, meant to be the blessing of God, and then sin gets a hold of it and turns it into condemnation and injustice. Your brother's blood is calling out to me from the ground. And so, God, like he did with Adam and Eve, calls, we see the same thing. There's the sin, there's the call to account, and then there's the consequences given. Verse 11. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on this earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, the east is east of Eden. So he says the consequences of your sin is that with Adam it was going to be, now you're going to have to work really hard to get the fruit. And with you, you're going to work really hard and you're not going to get, you're not going to get the fruit. It will not yield its strength. And the other thing for you, Cain, is that you're going to be a, a nomad for the rest of your days. Now that makes, because then he goes, oh, it's, it's, the punishment's too much. I can't do that. And you go, really? Yeah, I mean, a, a nomad, you're going to wander? That doesn't seem that, that that's horrible. Let me, let me rephrase that. Cain, you will never, ever be home. Some of you guys know about, well, about four years ago now, I went on a pilgrimage and just walked across Spain. And for 33 days, I just wandered. I mean, it was, it was, it was a path. It was there was directions, but I just kind of just walked. Sitting in a new place every night for 33 days. You know what I wanted more than anything at the end of those 33 days? I wanted my, my, my community and I wanted my, my own bed. I wanted to be home. And that was after 33 days. I just wanted to be back with community and I wanted to be back home. And God says to, to, to Cain, because of this, you're always going to be a wanderer. You're going to be a nomad. And that's actually, even if you look further on, that's the story of Israel. They are, they are nomads. They are nomads. They wander in the desert, and then God establishes them what? A home. So now only is it you're not in Eden anymore, but now it's you don't have a place and in an interesting and an ironic turn of events, Cain says, well, they're going to kill me. 
And God says, actually, that's not so. But notice the grace in that. God says, I'm going to spare you the very sin that, was, that you carried out. See, you didn't, you didn't have that fear when you killed Abel. And now what you're afraid of is that you're going to suffer the same sin that you carried out. Ironic, isn't it? I, you know, we do this, right? You do this. You lie. That's okay. It wasn't that big of a lie, but then somebody lies to you. Oh, they lied to me. Well, didn't you lie to them? Well, yeah, but that's a totally different story. Like, that one was totally justified. Then they cheated me out of money. Well, didn't you actually cheat them out of money? Well, well, yeah, but, but they, they deserve that one. And all the time, this is what we want. We want to be spared the consequences and to be the victim of other people's sin. Sorry, we want to be, we want to be spared of the consequences when we sin against others. But then we're afraid of suffering those very sins. And so then Cain is set out east of Eden, by the way, which is always to be like out of the presence of God. And by the way, to be away from God is to be a wanderer. That's why sometimes people tell me that are on, they're just on spiritual journeys. They go, I'm just, on a, I'm just a spiritual person on a spiritual journey. I go, and that's good. I want to I encourage you to, to find that journey, but know that it's not just about the journey. Because your spiritual journey should lead you to a spiritual home. Because we're not called to be nomads. There's something inside you that says we're not called to be nomads. We're called to be home. So then it goes on in verse 17. This is the verse that you're afraid that people will assign you in Bible study. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. And he built a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. And to Enoch was born Irod, and Irod fathered Mahushael, Mahushael, and Mahushael uh, fathered Methushael, and Methushael fathered Lamech. And Lamech had two wives. The name of the, son, uh, name of the, sorry, the, name of the one was Ida, and the name of the other was Zillah. And Ida bore Jabal, and the, was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal, who was the father of all those who played the lyre and the pipe. And Zillah, who also bore Tubal Cain, he was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron, the sister of Tubal Cain and Naamah. And Lamech said to his wives, Ida and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. Isn't that a powerful verse? It's like, what? Genealogy? I think I'll tell you what's happening here is that we see the spiral of sin going even further down. And so now we go generation, generation, generation. We see Lamech says that, yeah, I killed, a, I killed a man for wounding me. I even killed a boy for harming me. You see what's happening? 
All of a sudden, it was like, well, I, I, killed, I killed Abel because his offering to the Lord was greater than my offering to the Lord and was unacceptable for the Lord. And now we get to, to Lamech, and what do we hear about Lamech? He goes, well, yeah, he wounded me, so I killed him. He harmed me. It was a boy. Harmed me. Child. Boy. Harmed me. I killed him. And if, if Cain's revenge is seven, I'll tell you what. My revenge, 70 times seven. And what we see is the, the downward spiral of sin. And we are four chapters into the Bible. But I'll tell you the beautiful thing is that verse 24 comes along. Sorry, 25. And Adam knew his wife again. And she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also was born, sorry, also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. And the people, and at that time, the people began to call on the name of the Lord. It gets bad, it gets bad, it gets worse, it gets worse. And what do we see? A child is born. And, and people start to call on the name of the Lord again. And by the way, like, when you think about Adam and Eve, right? Think about this. She had two sons. One son killed the other son. But at some level, she lost both of her sons in that event, right? At some level, she was childless after that event. And what does God do? He redeems. I will bring you another son. And we're going to see both of these sons follow this path. But redemption will come through one. And just when you think things can't get any worse, they can't get any worse at that time. Because you go, at what time? And the people return, like the people, uh, they turn to God. Like, no, it's at that time, at the time of all of this brokenness, down, 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 the birth of a baby, a born, and at that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. And you go, oh, good, chapter four, put a bow on it, things are solved. But y'all know that Genesis, like, six is coming right with Noah. It's like, oh, and then it would be so wicked. And you go, this is the ebb and flow of the world. It gets bad, it gets bad, it gets bad, it gets bad until God does something. And then people call in the name of the Lord again. And it gets bad, 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 and it gets worse, it gets so bad, and then God does something. And then people call in the name of the Lord again. And this is the first time that we see it. And we're going to see this pattern repeat itself over and over again over and over again. We see it with Noah. We see it with Daniel. We see it with David. We see it with Jesus. We see it today. We see it for the first time, the Genesis, here. And so what do we do with this? You know, people will take this passion and they go, oh, this is a passage about tithing. (laughs) 
about the, the offerings we bring to God. This is how you know how much you should tithe. Because look at this. This guy didn't tithe and he killed the man. And so uh, don't be like that. Be like the person who, who tithed more. Like, but he died. Like, so <laughs> I should, wait, so I should go to church and give money and possibly be killed. Well, okay, don't, don't, don't apply it there. You know, don't go that far. Or like, or I don't give as much as somebody else in the church, and so I should not kill our top tithers? Is that what you're telling me not to do? Like, well, yes, don't kill our top tithers because that'd be a bad thing. But, but is that what this passage is about? Give more. Give the best. Don't be like, don't be like Cain. Be like Abel. Is that what this is about? No. No. God's not like, you know what, in 2,000 years, there's a church in Natomas that's going to need to make a budget, and we need a story to scare all the people to give, and you know, they're, they're more than 2,000 years, but thousands of years from now, a story for them to give. Is that what this is about? No. What's this story about? The story's about that we all want to be able, but we're Cain. We want to bring something that is to God that is acceptable. Like we're able, but we actually are more Cain than we are able. And so what do we do with that? Because there is blood that is crying out from the ground that is calling out condemnation and judgment against us. Two places I want to take you just quickly. The first one is the end of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 24. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks what? A better word than the blood of Abel. The blood of Jesus does what? It speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The blood of Abel spoke condemnation and judgment from the ground. And the blood of Jesus from the cross speaks one of grace and mercy. That's the new covenant. The blood that should be calling out to you judgment and wrath. Actually, Jesus took that, took that, took that, so that his blood of the new covenant could speak something else against us and for us. And so what the, what the, what the gospel tells us is that we've got a better blood. There's a better blood than Abel calling out against us. It's calling actually to us and calling for us. And not only that, if that wasn't enough, and by the way, that would be more than enough, it's more than that. Not only is it a better, a better blood, but it is a better home. John 14. Let your hearts, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. 
In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may also be. And you know the way to where I am going. And so Jesus says that not only is it a better blood, but it is a better home. That because of the blood that calls out against us, you no longer have to be a nomad. It's not just a spiritual journey, but a spiritual home. See, we want to be the able, not the cane, but we're the cane, not the able. And Jesus came and was, was the, the sacrifice for us. That his blood would redeem us and call us home. Pray that would be true for you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your story of brokenness. We thank you that, Jesus, that there is a better blood that cries out for us. That it is not the blood of condemnation, it is not the blood of judgment, but the blood of grace and mercy. We thank you for the blood of the better, of the new covenant, the better blood. And we thank you for the better home. God, you have not called us to be nomads. You have not invited us just to be sojourners. but that you've called us to be sojourners with, with the place, with the home. So God, I pray that your better blood would lead us to the better home. And that we would not just spend our days, our eternity, we would not just spend them wandering. But longing for our nomad days to end and that we would be back home and the place you prepared. We love you. We pray for these things in your name. Amen.